0: I-Y-O Welcome back to another episode of the Wade Break podcast, Leading Brands. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO of Wade Break, a leading email and CRM agency helping brands maximize revenue as an extension of their team with data-driven strategy, on-brand email creative flawless execution, development, advanced reporting, and more. During Q4, email and SMS should be top of mind. If you're not getting the performance that you should be from those channels, reach out to us by visiting wavebreak.co, linked down in the show notes below. We can speak about how we can partner up either later this Q4 or ideally in the beginning of next year to get your program on the right track by taking it off your and your team's plate while increasing revenue at the same time month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. Today on the show, we've got a special episode for you. I'm really excited. We're talking about the rise of pickle juice. I'm joined by Philip Cupins, who's the executive vice president at the Pickle Juice Company. We talk about everything from beginning to end about pickle juice. Starting with his beginning with the brand in 2015 when it was doing only 250,000 in annual revenue. Today, it's becoming the preferred choice of many top athletes without any paid marketing or endorsement deals. They have a really unique growth strategy that he shares today, um, and there's a lot to learn from this episode. A lot of great, um, great perspectives that are honest, and you know he shares what they've done well. He shares what they could have done better, and there's a lot to learn from Philip. So, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Philip, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about it.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. You've got an approach that's different than a lot of companies. You've got a product that's very different um, compared to the rest of the market. And I'm excited to get into it because there's a lot of, um, I don't know, pickle juice. There's a lot of talk about pickle juice, but as we were just talking about, it's the pickle juice talk is not always what it seems. So I think a that's good right. place to start would be if you could get us, you know, give us the high level on pickle juice and the company and the product. And then from there, we can kind of go into your background and, you know. Talk about where the business is and, and, and what's going on from there.
1: Yeah, for sure. So as you said, pickle juice has nothing to do with pickles or pickle brine. We developed a product to specifically designed to combat muscle cramps and identified a proprietary grain of acetic acid that disrupts the nerve receptors that cause those cramps. Well, it so happened that the end product haven't taste a little bit like pickles. So our joke is that we could call it what it does or what it tastes like. And now we're also conditioning a consumer to drink something that tastes like, frankly, a preservative, right? Like pickle brine. So we kind of leaned into that. We're like, well, there's no such thing as pickle juice. It's not like people are juicing pickles, right? So we filed a trademark for the name pickle juice and released this product. And now we sort of suffer the same fate that, you know, like Sharpie or Coke or Kleenex or Thermos Face, where our our brand is often misconstrued with, um, a category, but in our case, it's not even the right category. It's like, it's like the stuff in a jar, which we share, share nothing with. So I guess we're sort of a victim of our own naming success in some unintentional way.
0: You've completely changed the game for pickle companies unintentionally because you've got people drinking, like you were saying, the, uh, you know, the preservatives of the pickle brine and just expecting the same benefits of your product, which you've done such a good job at like, you know, taking this word pickle juice, which now makes sense to everybody. But like you said, you know, 20 or so years ago when the company was founded, that wasn't even a thing. People weren't juicing pickles. And now, you know, you've got such a great product with such good benefits that people are just, you know, putting two and two together and thinking that they can just drink the brine and get the results, which is not true.
1: Right, and I think that's part of our growth Space right. That's kind of where we are. We are obviously our brand awareness is is great. It's getting better. Our functional awareness is great and getting better. And now it's just our distribution has to catch up. So we've got excellent distribution. We're sort of in a hyper growth model there, going from about six hundred ish retail doors in twenty fifteen to over fifteen thousand domestically now, and we're opening international marketplaces. So. I think once we really penetrate the marketplace, the distinction will become a lot more clear. And we're also actively educating athletic trainers. We're educating um, high-level users. And people are starting to see our product on the sidelines of NFL games and and on tennis courts, rugby fields, cricket fields all over the world, which will help.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to touch on like what built that demand that you mentioned for the distribution, um, you know, and catching up to that, going from 600 doors to over 15,000. But before that, just so um, you know, listeners have context, what kind of retailers are you in and then like also like just so people know like this is a, you know, a product for for athletes and just if you could talk more about like who, who the customer is and then what retailers you're currently aligned with, I think that would just be some good context and then we can get into like the marketing side and growth side and how you built that de- demand
1: for sure yeah so we we use the, the athletic space as sort of our credibility play because that's a, that's high visibility people are familiar with that kind of thing but it's not just athletes that are our customers um we've also found that there's a high level of uh, amount of people who get nighttime leg cramps especially as we age we become more prone to that so that's a significant portion of our customer base and then there are just people that are working outside a lot in the heat a lot because this this is such an acute remedy to you know the depletion of the electrolytes that people get we don't lead with that we don't actively market with that our our thing is we stop muscle cramps we make that claim we make that claim boldly and we can defend that claim because we've proven it so we from a go-to-market perspective, that's how we go to market. We stay in that lane. We stay in the stop muscle cramps lane. But people are using it for other things as well. So that's our customer. As far as retailers, we're everywhere from Walmart down to your local running running shop and cycling shop. A lot of grocery presence. We deliberately went after destination retail first as we were building up our brand awareness and now we're starting to get into the impulse space so you're going to start seeing us in more c stores and places like that in the next couple of
0: years nice and yeah i think that's really really good context and uh, great starting off point for starting to talk more about like the organic growth that you know you you've helped drive since joining the company so stop muscle cramps that's the main value prop which i think is smart because you know hydration is a really popular space these days. And a lot of people can say, you know, X times um, electrolytes as the leading sports drink. Like you see every hydration company kind of saying that, but stopping muscle cramps, like you said, it's not a claim that anyone can make. And it's a claim that even fewer people can defend. But um, yeah, you know, with all that being said, you joined the company in 2015. What was it like, you know, getting in there and, and figuring out how to how do we grow this thing?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So so my background is uh, large companies. I was with Heinz, Warner Brothers, then 20th Century Fox, mostly in a marketing space. But prior to that, um, I had a bit of a food science background from university. Coming into the space after the bottom fell out of the DVD market, kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And this was sort of a a side hustle that I sort of fell into, um, met the other partners, through social channels actually just it was happenstance and they were like well what can we do how, how we can how can we grow it and i thought they had had a pretty unique brand they already owned the brand at that time and then we came in and created a a whole new unique go-to-market strategy that really didn't exist at the time and more importantly uh, i spent a lot of time in the lab we reformulated it and dialed in the, the efficacy. And since then, we've had trial after trial after trial. Um, most recently, through the University of Sterling, um, someone did a test with the UK national swim team and found 100% efficacy within 82 seconds of ingestion. And that's the highest level athlete, obviously, you can get with. So we're, our efficacy levels are just you know unsurpassed, which is awesome. So A, we got a great product, and then B, we we're like, well, how do we bring this to market? And then the that was a combination between CPG, experiential, and um, mission-based models, which we can get into a little more if you look if you want.
0: Yeah, would love to learn l- learn more about that and and what the go to market was. Once you, it sounds like you got the product dialed in and operating at the highest level, and then and then went from there. So yeah, what did that go to market look like?
1: Yeah, so we were. Um, you know, like like a startup at the time, really, right? I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't really a huge company before, but so we we're acting a lot like a startup, despite the brand having been around. We we need to be very conscious how we spend our money. We also knew that we had a very unique product. We had a product that was that really worked in what it said it was supposed to do, but also it worked very quickly, and that was critical for us because we said, wait. We can prove efficacy in the field. And if I can come to you and give you this product as you're getting a muscle cramp and it goes away in a minute and a half, I don't really need to do any other marketing. I've got you for life because you're like, holy cow, this worked. So we we also realized that we needed the revenue from traditional CPG modeling, right? Get it on a bunch of cells, make it avail- available to people, but... We weren't going to spend. We decided we weren't going to spend any any money on marketing. What we're going to do is take a more PR focused approach to what we were doing. So we partner with about 500 nonprofit charity events a year, um, mostly endurance events. Like um, ultra running is big with us. Uh, distance cycling is really big with us, and we do that through collaborations and. Being of value add to the people participating in the events. So now, when you go to a bike race like the the Hotter Hell Hundred, which has like ten thousand people, I'm now touching ten thousand people that are directly in my core demographic. The other thing we found that is interesting is these people that participate in these endurance events, they do their own research, they are very vocal online, and they're in these communities. So I think it was the president of Intuit. Years ago, who said companies are no longer what they tell people they are. Companies are what people tell each other that they are. So we really embrace that. We're like, look, let's just let's prove this thing works, and then let everybody else talk about it. And we do that only through working with uh, nonprofit-based events. So we get to do some good while we're doing it. So it's 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 a sort of a win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so what does that look like? You mentioned like people, you want to have people experience the product firsthand. So what exactly do those partnerships look like?
1: Yeah, it's on the most basic level, it's setting up at eight stations along the side of uh courses. So we're pretty strategic on when people are likely to cramp during a marathon or a 100-mile bike ride or something like that and we'll literally have our products sitting there available for their consumption when they're most likely to cramp. And it's it, it's been a, a really fascinating strategy that works really, really well. And initially, we were going to people asking if we could do this at their events. And now we've got um, more events than we can handle coming to us. So we've, we've stopped reaching out to events to participate. And now we let them come to us. That way, we're eliminating any perception of bias or favoritism and yeah we have events that are with a for-profit institutions and we don't work with them I said sorry we 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 won't pay to play um it's it's not who we are it's not who we want to be and frankly it's a disservice to the people that don't require that
0: yeah, definitely. And I, I love the idea of like having a product so good that these people like that works so fast that these people are in the middle of a race, their leg is cramping up and right where they need your product, you have it. And then from there, like you said, they're hooked. Um, you yeah. know, they always sell like you want to be in the the painkiller business, not the vitamin business. And that's like a perfect example of that in you know, in action. Um, and then so like what's the ripple effect of that? So you start going to these these races and you're helping these people with their cramps. And then like, what happens from there? This is like the main marketing and go-to-market strategy that you you were using?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question, right? Because it's one thing to prove in, in a vacuum that your product works really well. The next part of it is how do people find out about it, right? So... Um, but we don't want to pay people to tell other people. So that becomes a slippery slope. So we're not like using influencers in the traditional sense. But what we have done is created this uh, network of brand ambassadors. And and these brand ambassadors are people that are aligned with us philosophically, that are um, usually higher profile or higher achieving athletes, um, but not always. Sometimes it's just vocal, vocal participants of something. And um, we we collaborate with them. We don't pay them, but we collaborate with them. So um, that could be getting them exposure, getting them involved in other events. So it's a, it's a true organic collaboration rather than a transaction. And these people are out there, you know, uh, screaming our, our our mission from the mountaintops, if you will. But it's it's legit, right? So if somebody goes up to them and say, "Oh, they're paying you to say that," they go, "No, I don't." I don't get paid to say this
0: interesting and then do you give them anything in return like are they getting product like how do you find these people and then how do you maintain that relationship or is it like a mix of of different different things
1: it's a mix of different things but the, the, the basic fundamental is that um you you get to you get to know people right you engage with them um you find people that really love your product uh, more often than not they're coming to us or I've met them through maybe they're asking for advice on how to relieve cramps and then we just kind of stay engaged and that naturally evolves into like a partnership and a friendship, frankly. Um, but yeah, we obviously give them product to use and sometimes we give them product to um, for other people to use. Um, but you know we don't consider that payment that's a, that's just giving them the tools to be effective ambassadors. Um, and then we'll we'll help them when we partner with these 500 events, right? So the perk is sometimes we'll get free entry fees and we'll be like, hey, brand ambassadors, who wants these? Anybody in the area, anybody participating in this, you want to go? So that's where the, the collaboration comes from. There's a really funny story. Um, one of my really, really good friends, um, one of, l- literally one of the most interesting human beings I've ever met uh, is an ultra runner named Patrick Sweeney. And um, he became famous because he was the guy that ran from San Diego to Boston and did it in uh, 111 days, averaging 48 miles a day. Uh, and then he just for kicks ran the Boston Marathon route. And it's like, okay, that's that's it. So they started calling him the real life Forrest Gump and stuff. And then at one point, somebody reached out and they, they wanted to do an article about us, uh, our company, in GQ magazine. And we're like, wow, that's great. And they're like, do you have any brand ambassadors that we could talk to? We're like, absolutely. So they talked to Sweeney and it was, he they found him to be so interesting and compelling that they wrote an article about him rather than us. But we, we still got our mentions from him. So it's those kind of collaborations that, that, that we rely on. And um, it's worked well. I mean, I'm sure there are faster ways to market, um, but I don't know if there are more honest ways to market.
0: Yeah. Or like, you know more quality uh, methods that last as long and like really build a brand that's going to stand the test of time. I mean for pickle juice to be around this long and then still be like picking up steam and growing rapidly is really impressive. Um, you know, a lot of brands over the last few years have tried to like buy growth and shortcut that. But, you know, to all your points that you mentioned, like unless you have a product that's amazing, product that people really buy into and keep coming back for, um, you know, we've seen time and time again a lot of these companies, they went public, they bought their growth and now their stocks are way down. Okay. Um, they're struggling, struggling to grow because they didn't build build the network that you guys have uh with the product and 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 have an incredible solution. I think that's amazing. And I wanted to ask about the PR because I noticed like, you know, pickle juice isn't always front and center of the story, although sometimes it is, but it's kind of like you partner with the right people and then, you know, something happens, whether it's somebody drinking it on the sidelines or you know, I, I don't even know. People are like, what is that? Or someone says pickled juice or something like that. Next thing you know, it turns into a PR opportunity. It seems like that's pretty common. Um, yeah. How does yeah, that I work mean, exactly? Yeah.
1: Um, sometimes it's total chance. I mean, um, I think it was the Australian Open two years ago or last year. In the final, Daniel Medvedev was just like drinking a bottle of our product in its own retail packaging. And <laughs> we're like, nice. I mean, you literally cannot pay for that, right? You, it's, it's, if, if somebody's a paid endorser of a product, they're probably not going to let them do that. They're not going to like let them hawk their, their sponsors during a competition. But there was a, um, there's another example. It was Monday Night Football a couple of years ago. It was the Cowboys and the Eagles, and Fletcher Cox is sitting on the field with the cramp, and he's drinking one of our bottles. And it's very clear. Like, you name me one other product that doesn't pay for exposure in sport that's getting that type of authentic exposure. It doesn't exist. I've never seen it. If, if it if it's out there, you know, I'll leave my words, but I I haven't seen it. So I think that credibility piece comes from those spaces
0: yeah and it keep it seems to keep happening i think was i reading an article about the was it the us open this year where like something similar happened yeah that was actually really
1: really funny and um i i don't want to throw him under the bus or anything but it's too funny not to share so several months before the tournament one of my coworkers reached out to him and said hey do you guys want to buy any of this stuff? Do you want to make it available to your athletes or anything like that? It's it's becoming very very requested in the tennis space. So we reached out to them. They're like, no, thank you. I'm like, okay. So then, it, it was in one of the early rounds. It was one of the French athletes were kind of had a little bit of an emotional uh, demand session for pickle juice. Like, where's pickle juice? Why didn't you have any? And then they're like lost and blamed the loss on the tournament not having pickle juice available for um, the athletes. So uh, my coworker then took the first, the original email thread when he was like, hey, would you like any of this? When they're like, no. And (laughs) replied all to that thread with (laughs) the article (laughs) and said, offer still stands. (laughs) And they're like, still (laughs) no. We're like, okay. So (laughs) we, we suspect that there was some kind of, paid endorsement behind the scenes. I mean they never disclose that. But um yeah, that was so that was the whole US Open saga this year. Um, you know, I, I get it. They probably signed an agreement with somebody else that it, that it included excluding us because we're at we're at Wimbledon, we're at the French Open, we're at the Australian Open, and and you know, hopefully the US Open um will will open their doors to us. But it was uh it was kind of a very, very funny sort of thing. But again, all we did was make the product available to those athletes. It's the Australian Open. We didn't pay them to use it. We didn't do any of that stuff. They, they all just know it works. And then because yeah. of that,
0: we've become very popular in the tennis space. This episode of Leading Brands is brought to you by Adnaboo, the only app you need for advertising your Shopify store. If you're looking for affordable ways to reach new customers, Adnaboo could be the solution. Adnaboo offers the convenience of managing shopping ads across various online platforms like Google Shopping, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more with a single app. What sets Adnaboo apart? It's innovative AI technology. It optimizes your product listings to generate more sales for your store. Powered by the same language models fueling ChatGPT, its AI tech generates the most effective strategy for each marketplace in real time, saving merchants like you the hassle of hiring experts and giving you more time to focus on growing your business. I highly recommend you reach out and schedule a demo because it could take work off your plate while growing your sales. And as a listener of Leading Brands, you can enjoy an exclusive offer of 20% off all paid plans with the coupon code LEADINGBRANDS20. To learn more about how Adnabu can work for your brand and to get this offer, visit adnabu.com. That's A-D-N-A-B-U dot com. Link down in the show notes below, adnabu.com slash leading brands. Like I said, it will be linked down in the show notes below. Highly recommend you check out Adnabu and see what it can do for your business. Yeah, it's amazing because, um, I don't know, it's like, and then this, that story, it gets run on like one PR outlet, or sorry, I should say one press outlet, and then it gets added to the next and the next because it's kind of like wait he went crazy over what and it's kind of like one of those yeah. things and uh, yeah i mean that's that's really interesting i have the i have the official quote pulled up where he's like you had it in cincinnati and everywhere else but not here <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that's great um i love the reply i'll follow up too um that's amazing. i mean come on man hopefully something, something... soon
1: Sometimes you got to be a little blunt. I, I mean, I was telling somebody recently, it's like, look, companies are run by people. And, and the, the best thing you can do is remind yourself and remind everybody you in, interact with that these these entities, these brands have people behind them and, and people need to people. Like, th- mm-hmm. like these fabricated statements, this these g- disingenuous approaches to going to business, um, creating an image that isn't authentic. It's a bunch of BS, and it's past. I mean, um, I, I the joke I use is Gordon Gecko is dead um, because we we now live in such a ha- hyper transparent space that we have to embrace who we are as companies. We have to embrace who those companies are run by, and we have to be honest with ourselves. And with our consumers and the general public, because guess what, they're gonna find out, right? There are too yeah. many ways for people to get information. That you know, they'll, I mean, look at Volkswagen, right? You think a company that big would have known better, but they literally try to like cover up their whole diesel thing. And it's like, guys, you gotta, you, you have to be who you claim to be, and and anything else is misguided. And I think a lot of these companies that are run by old methods of thinking are very uncomfortable releasing their narrative because I think they're very uncomfortable with their narrative. So if you just act genuine and honest and stand behind your products, you don't have to control your narrative. You don't need to control the space. You let everybody else talk about it because if you if they don't have anything bad to say about you, or you don't give them anything bad to say about you within reason, um, then who cares what they say?
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean, especially with, you know, in terms of thinking about like the legacy players who have that mindset, it really creates opportunity for the up and coming brands. And, um, you know, if you want to last, I told, totally, yeah. I mean, it's like, you used to be able to put whatever you wanted in an infomercial back in the day. Cause there was like, no, or even like the whole, you know, Cutco knives and things like that. It's like, there was no trail. There was no online yeah. reviews. Like you could literally put whatever you wanted in some sort of infomercial and you can't, can't get away with that today. And you need a good product. You need to stand by it. and. I, I completely agree. And I think you guys have done a great job at it. I want to switch a little bit to distribution. So you built this you know, go-to-market very organically and very differently than, than many brands, uh, starting with, I think you said about 600 or so um, doors in 2015. And so then you build up this engine. And then where do you go from there in terms of distribution, like in tandem with that go-to-market strategy?
1: Yeah. So we have a very strict rule at the office that says, don't make it hard for people to give you their money. Um, so, and and that joke kind of extends to don't limit your your out your output by existing limitations at the input level. So if you don't if if you're if we're not operating in a certain space but we want to be let's figure out how to how to operate in that space. And, and we do that by working from the shelf backwards, right? We have consistent pricing across the board everywhere so there's no like huge price fluctuations and and right now there's a lot of undercutting going on and share shifting going on. So we we really try to avoid playing in that game. Um, because we also don't build in huge margins, we're very transparent with our with our pricing. We don't have big marketing budgets built in, which also means we can't be like held hostage at our price. We're like, look, at some point we walk away, and we've we've done that with some really big retailers. We're like, look, we can't afford to operate at that price, so we have to stay strategic. But as long as somebody is on board with that and is, is on board with how we go to, to how we get into the space, we'll work it with it within any distribution network. I mean, traditional brick and mortar. We you know we've got customers that are FOB. We've got um, LTL delivered. We've got full truckload delivered. We've got uh, distri- distributor network, um, national distributors, local distributors. So for us, we really try not to be limited on how people get our product. Um, we just try to con- try to be involved in making sure that it's consistent so that we're not participating in share shifting, that all the growth is genuine growth. And we see same-store same growth um, growing double digits every year with most of our retailers. So it seems to be working.
0: Yeah. Was there like when you started and you were in those initial 600 retailers, what kind of retail locations were those? And then like, how did you think about expanding from those into, you know, today you're in practically every type of retailer. So I'm just curious how you approached that.
1: It, that was, that was injecting a, a more of a CPG traditional CPG strategy into the space. Um, the, so back then it was a local, but large grocers, um, like uh united and brookshire's and brookshire brothers um those so sort of texas based ones that were uh physically located near us uh, as a matter of fact brookshire's was co-packing the product for us at the time so that was kind of where it started but we, we didn't really have a clear srp we didn't have a clear message we didn't really have a clear go to market strategy it, it was sort of like a treated like a, a side hustle, right? And it was uh and it was cool. And it was there was nothing wrong with that. But in in twenty fifteen, our total gross revenue was um two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is, you know, now at a couple of zeros behind that, um, more than a couple of zeros behind that to indicate where we are now. Um, but there, I don't know if there was an actual um strategy that aligned with traditional CPG go to strategy um the the company was previously very focused on um, the manufacturing piece of it like making the products. and they they were quite good at that and, and they had this context in this basis but as far as um, bringing it to market building the brand that was uh, something that we were we were able to achieve after 2015.
0: Got it. And then like, were you the one really spearheading like the growth into retail? And if so, like, what did that, what did that look like? Were you building out a team? Are you doing the sales yourself or how how does that all work together?
1: I mean, when your gross sales are (laughs) $250,000, everybody that's working for the organization puts on a lot of different hats, right? So everyone's
0: doing everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everyone's doing a little bit of everything and doing it all the time. And and, I mean, that's, you have to have that mentality when you're in a, a startup sort of space and even though the brand had been around for you know 14 years it, it was really not it was just a brand at that point right it was just it was just an opportunity i think um i mean sure 250k is nice if you've got a little side hustle of your garage but not for a real business you can't operate a real business on that kind of revenue so um yeah at, at first it was very sort of you know uh roll up your sleeves and get into it and i was i think i was the the chief scientist the chief demo person the the chief uh sales guy the chief marketing guy it's funny because now when people join our company and they're like well you really know the history really really well and you know like the key points and stuff i was like uh, yeah because i wrote them <laughs> i didn't have a choice uh, but i've also been really really lucky since then to have some incredible people join this team um i would be completely misrepresenting the organization if i said if i took credit for everything that's going on now we've got some really really great people um our 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 presence and the creativity have taken a huge jump uh, over the past uh year or so uh, since Maddie and Kat joined the team, you know, Blake Bolton is running the sales and marketing division really, really well. Um Colby's now heading up our grocery division. She's doing great. Our operations team, our, our production team, they're, they're all fantastic. So it's like, you know, what we, there was like two of us and now we're like a real company and <laughs>
0: that's kind of neat. Yeah. That's, that, that's amazing growth. And to like build it all out, um, I'm sure is like really rewarding to look back and see and, what does like the sales team look like today? Like, how many people are on it? Is it still pretty lean and and eat young and hungry, or what does that look like?
1: Uh, yeah, um, it's it, it's very lean, and that was by design. Um, it it allowed us to scale using a lot of um, third party resources, allowed us to scale very rapidly. So we could like set up an account, create the, create the general 30,000-foot piece, and then hand the nuts and bolts over to a broker, right? So we've got a pretty big broker network uh, managing every piece of our business, really. So uh, our director of sales and marketing, Blake, likes to say that we are a large company with a small workforce. <laughs> and, <laughs> and And that's true, right? Because as you bring people in, you have to train them. And there's 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 an adoption curve so to get somebody up to speed in cpg can take about a year if they're new to the space and the reality is we generally need people that are new to the space because we go to market in such a unique and different way and we've we've brought people in that have experience and have like r- resumes that you know read, read like a like an all-star roster but it it's it, we found that to really embrace the the different way that we go to market it's it's very difficult to find that with those people that have worked in the way the market has traditionally operated so we're we're young in mind for for sure um but if, if people if old dogs can learn new tricks we're not we're not we're not opposed to being being uh, not young age otherwise I'd have to fire
0: myself yeah, I mean, it's in, it's interesting, like, too, because it's like, as you know, when I first came across the company, it was like, oh, this seems like a, a cool new thing, because of the way it's marketed. And like, it's like something that like, it, until you first hear about it, you don't really hear about it. And then you hear about it, and you start seeing it everywhere. And then I started, you know, digging into it. And I'm like, wow, this company has been around way longer than I thought. And it's it's cool to hear the story from you to find out that up until 2015, this was even just like, it was still a side hustle. Um, but it's, it's great that, you know, whoever founded it originally and kept it going all those years did, because obviously today it's, uh, a really important part of a lot of athletes regimen and, and, and people who even just, you know, like you said, deal with cramping on a daily basis in their, you know, non-athletic lives.
1: Yeah. And, and I was lucky, right. We fell into like a, a sort of perfect partnership, um, with, with the Steves. Um, so Steve Collette Really, he had a big background. He owned a pickle a pickle company, so he really knew how to make this stuff. He um, he had he he got the regional distribution. Um, he had a a really successful food service background, so he was totally instrumental. And the the other thing that he's incredibly good at is his intention to detail is second to none. So setting up the company and the infrastructure, he was really. Fantastic and and invaluable. Uh, Steve Gardner had a ton of success. I mean, a ton of success in the telecommunications space. So that that guy knows how to build businesses. knows knows how to um, run organizations. how, How to do the like make sure the budget doesn't fly out of control. He had the resources to fund it. So and then I was the CPG guy. So it was it was it was kind of a really nice marriage. So you know. You have to be good and lucky, right, to have success. And, and I think that, that meeting two people that had such a unique and, and differing contribution to the success of the org uh, was invaluable because it's I, – I, I'm not – I couldn't say here and be honest and say, like, I could have just started this thing in 2015 and it, it'd be where it is. There's no way that foundation was was really, really critical.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, eminent in the way that even today you still have a lean team, but are accomplishing so much to, uh, you know, your colleague's point where a large company or what is it? Large company without a large workforce or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. A large <laughs> company with a small
1: workforce with a small
0: yeah. workforce. I mean, that's it. That says a lot about the team that you, you, you do have in place. And, um, you know speaking of that you've got a lot of momentum today i'd love to sh- shift gears and, and talk about the future and the brand expansion what what are you most excited about what's in the pipeline for for pickle juice these days yeah so
1: we've actually got we've got quite a way quite a ways we can still grow our our flagship brand um product pickle juice uh we're not near the ceiling i think we're probably about Um, 25% of where we think the um, global demand ceiling is, our realistic distribution ceiling, I should say. Um, And then we launched our first uh, line extension earlier this year in chili lime pickle juice. Um, So that's a thing now. Um, We are shifting to be a 100% um, USD organic plant. We're shifting, we're actually a, a really exciting uh, venture is that we're moving to uh, 100% recycled plastic. So we will be, I I I think there's a, not a lot of companies out there that can be carbon neutral and putting their product in plastic, um, but we figured out a way to do that. And, and that's only because there's no other practical vehicle container that we can use. So right now PET is, is the best thing because our, our pH levels are so, so low, but we figured The best thing we could do is use recycled materials um, for now. And as as the sustainability um, sciences continue to evolve, we we always look at that. So we're really excited about moving to this 100% recycled space. Uh, We're getting into the co-packing space because we totally outgrew our first plant. 2015, we built a plant. And I say we're either really good at growth or really bad at forecasting because we outgrew it in like three years. We can't. We kind of went all in and, and and sent it on this plant because our plant's running at like twenty percent capacity. We're like, and we got to increase this demand because our fixed overhead's pretty crazy right now. Like we got this <laughs> huge facility, like a bunch of empty desks. We're like, we are future proofing ourselves. Well, we did that. And now we're like, okay, we got these three lines and we're running one shift, so we should probably like. Uh, do some other stuff. So we're going to get it. So diversification is key. We're getting into co-packing. Uh, I've got another, a few other products I'm working on in the lab, uh, a recovery product um, that takes a vasodilation approach to recovery. Uh, we're also working on a a product that is aimed at increasing VO2 max, which is pretty cool. Um, but those are still kind of in the works. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly not resting on our laurels. We're, we're, we view where we are now as a foundation to be where we are in, in five years, and hopefully, our growth rate will continue. We're projecting about forty-five um, percent uh, growth next year, um, and that's only based on on trackable revenue. And so, we think our actual growth would be about fifty percent, which is pretty big when you have a decent baseline. And yeah, we're we're stoked about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's so tough to like especially in a consumer business to like balance like you're saying like the uh the demand and then like the ability to like meet that demand whether it's, you know, it, whether you're producing your products yourself or not. I feel like it's like everyone wants to hit the sweet spot, but they always outgrow out, you outgrow the factory, you outgrow the office, something happens and it's never perfect, but you know, it sounds like you guys are doing your best. You've got a good plan in place to, you know, get the get all those lines moving. I mean,
1: it- I'm not saying we didn't work in a construction trailer for six months, a year and a half ago. (laughs) Blake and I were sitting in this like construction trailer, temporary office because the build out of our office. So the factory and the warehouse was up and running, but we had no office space. So we're, uh, yeah, we're working out of the parking lot um, for about um, six months longer than we anticipated. So what we thought would be December, January, March turned into like August. So we were pretty happy to move into these uh, these shiny new digs.
0: <laughs> nice, and that was what, like two months ago now, two or three months ago.
1: No, that was, that last, was year last year when we moved into the offices. yeah. Uh, and that allowed us. But the thing is, too, is we were really limited then because we didn't have physical space to put people, and because we're we're still emerging and our our identity is emerging, it's it's not an environment where you can just like entirely work remotely people have to be here because we're still wearing so many hats i mean right now our one of our account executives um and two of our content folks are driving to bentonville arkansas in the pickle truck for outer bike and we we all do that we all go to these events we all participate directly because that's the best way to get in touch with your consumers right and and we could have an agency do it sure we could have somebody staff our booth but but if we're not actually engaging, we're not learning, we're not gathering data and we're not building these relationships that eventually become our brand ambassador network. So yeah, there's a lot of the there's a lot of sleeve rolling up still going on
0: here. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that. And I think it makes a lot of sense too, like just considering how close you are to the customer and how effective the product is. It's like I don't know. It's really great to hear. And I appreciate you being honest too with like, you know, we don't get everything right. Like just cause we're, we're featured in these articles and people are talking about us and like the biggest sporting events doesn't mean, you know, we have our operations out into the point where it's like, you know, we're growing perfectly in tandem with everything. Um, and so appreciate you being open and transparent about all of that.
1: Yeah. Well, anybody who says they got a perfect's probably being dishonest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. You, 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 it's, you don't learn from not falling. You learn from falling once in a while. And, and the reality is that, you know, while we try to get everything right, if you don't take risk, you're, you're not going to succeed. And, um, if you don't adapt, you die, right? So you have to be able to adapt and you don't know how to adapt unless you, unless you're willing to push the envelope a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I think we're, we have that type of culture here where culture is really really important um it's it's about transparency honesty and and uh, and personal accountability and, but we we encourage everybody here to to take calculated risks and we have an environment where uh taking those risks is is rewarded even if they don't if they, if they don't result in the outcome we we hope for as long as the logic and the process makes sense and And that the, the outcome is not catastrophic, right? Then, um, we should, we should live in a space like that. And I I think it allows everybody that's a part of our team than to really feel like they're an entrepreneur themselves. They can own their space. And we tell people here all the time, look, you should always have two resume-worthy things going on. Find those big projects. Don't get hung up in the day-to-day. If if your entire job is day-to-day, let us know and we'll find a way to take that stuff off your plate. But you need to be doing stuff that you can be passionate about. And I think if, if you embrace that type of environment, you're going to get a bunch of people working for you that are going to run circles around you and it's awesome to see that.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Um and I love that, you know, you're aware of that not just with yourself but with your team because I feel like it's so easy to just get caught up in like the day to day and making sure everything gets done just to maintain the business versus, you know, like you're saying zoom out for a second and and really work on those projects that's going to get the business where you want it to be in 5 years. For sure. We're starting to run out of time here. I really appreciate you taking the time to to come and you know share your learnings and experience with us. But before we wrap up, we'd love to, you know, quick summary for people. Pickle Brian is not pickle juice. <laughs> so don't expect any of the benefits. Um, where, can, where can listeners go learn more about pickle juice and, uh, you know, even pick some up and try some or restock if they're, you know, maybe they're an avid cyclist. They've already tried it. They're listening to this on a run or something like that. Um, where can they go learn more or find the product?
1: Yeah, if you go to picklepower.com and there's a store locator feature on the bottom of our homepage, uh, you can connect with us there. We respond to everybody within 12 uh, 12 hours. Um, if we if we can sometimes on the weekends, it'll be Monday until we get back, but you know, or give us a call, send us an email um, smoke signals, carrier pigeon, anything. Uh, we, we really, really encourage people to reach out and ask their questions. Um, but really just like the opportunity I've had to speak with you, which has been awesome, by the way, thank you so much. Um, just Google us, Google pickle juice and, and see what comes up, um, and, and go down those rabbit holes. And it's pretty interesting because we are really, really fortunate that people are out there uh, spreading the word for us.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn that's not like the quote unquote traditional, you know, CPG or direct to consumer, you know, using both these in air quotes playbooks um, that instead focus on the customer and actually, you know, effectively grow the brand through a great product and customers who love the product. Yeah,
1: weird, weird concept, right? When you say it, it seems so logical. But you're like, <laughs> yeah. hey, create a product that people like and let them tell each other about it. <laughs>
0: They're like, why would we do that? <laughs> I know, it's like, oh, wait, I know. It's like you end up, you could end up so far down the road and like, you know, way way, way off. But, um, you know, never never too late to listen and never too late to, to make a change. I mean, Pickle Juice has been around and- still growing still going and you guys are still innovating and um props to you guys for continuing to to innovate um thank you th- thanks again for coming on we'll link everything up down in the show notes below and um yeah once you guys achieve world world domination of pickle juice we'll have to have you back on and, and talk more then i really appreciate it thanks so much for having me yeah thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak podcast Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.